I'm Drew. I'm John. And I'm Nick. And you're listening to The Archive, our ever-growing library of everything, one hour at a time. here right well in spirit well yeah if you didn't listen to the percolator this week i'll give i'll give another quick rundown of what's going on and and you might even call this a show matter well before you say that nick i just want to say (laughs) now is the time to talk about show matters (laughs) damn it nick we didn't even say where we are we're in okay we're what people need to understand... We're in the place that, that you talk about show matters. Is, <laughs> is that normally we would be in the preparatorium at this point. But, um, as I mentioned on the percolator uh, that you either have listened to already or will be listening to next week, depending on how you know the schedules work out. Oh, you, you forgot the most likely option that they're not listening to it. <laughs> oh yeah, or you're just not listening to that or this. Um, <laughs> uh, we here at the archive are are adhering to CDC regulations, um, and and even if we didn't want to, we would be forced to because the second those regulations were announced, the archive's automated quarantine system kicked in, and uh, as each of us walked into the prefatorium. Um, a big pair of robot hands picked us up and tossed us into separate rooms. So we're actually in miniature prefatorium pods. Um, and, and each in our own, it's a, like a miniature replica of the main prefatorium. Um, and sitting in front of me are two automatons um, <laughs> that have TV screens for heads. And on those TV screens, I can see nick and john's head and i'm gonna assume i can't see your rooms but i'm gonna assume that's what you guys have as well um no i actually i just have two tvs yours like walk around and stuff yeah the 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 nick automaton is like just doing weird movements and sort of banging its head against the wall which is i assume based on your own uh activities and and the john (laughs) that's accurate (laughs) And the, the John Automaton just keeps shrugging and scoffing as he uh, listens to me. That's interesting, because I just have a couple of rodeo clowns. <laughs> but they're miming the actions of us. So I'm going to assume the archive systems put in place mechanisms that would uh, sort of put each of us at ease. Oh, yeah. You know. So that's good. And it, sadly, we, you know, Adam's still in his cryo crate. I mean, good for him because he's missing all this. Yeah. Um, How are we going to catch but, him uh, up? I don't know. It's going to be a day long effort, I mm. think, um, when he finally gets out of there. Um, but anyway, that's a show matter. We are in separate prefatorial pods. Yeah, prefatorial pods. Um, we are practicing social distancing. And I just want to make sure people know that. Um, Another show matter is that, what was the show matter I said I was going to say? Oh, if you listened, if you downloaded the Mad Balls episode recently, hmm. you were treated to a <laughs> lovely experience. It, only the people who jumped in on the first day. 
Yeah, exactly. That was a that special was treat for our regular It's the listeners. early bird downloads, right? Yes. right? <laughs> um, and so congrats to those of you who got to hear it. Um, but if you want to hear the unadulterated version of that episode, um, at this point, if you re-download it, um, you'll get a version that didn't have... I wouldn't call it a glitch, because I feel like it was an intentional on our part. Definitely. <laughs> um, but there were some audio issues. Um, and then the last show matter I'll bring up is that it's still March Madness. And uh, we're here to talk about... Uh, another mad topic which we'll get into later yeah huh, that was, that's a lot of sh- i feel like that's the most show matters we've ever i think so yeah um gone through hopefully okay, we have the most comments we've ever gone through well <laughs> nick i can't believe you'd say that because of course i am the prefatorial goomba um ask that you question to, yeah for you to indicate in any way around comments and, and the like is really um overstepping hey man i'm (laughs) teeing you up all right okay fair enough fair enough all right um so i just want to ask john do we have any comments yes we have comments uh we have comments about the mad balls episode oh good starting with i'm so excited to relay this uh the latest comment from our friend venetian rendezvous Oh, man. Welcome Who back to it? the comments, Venetian Rendezvous. Uh, he says, or she or says, she. great episode on Mad Balls, boys. <laughs> Just a quick question. <laughs> did you cover Did you cover the history of Mad Balls, or did I miss it? <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the pod was up to your usual high standards. <laughs> Thanks again. Yep. Thank you again, Venetian Rendezvous. Um, I would refer you to the show matters that the prefatorial Goomba uh, just relayed um, for uh, some some prefatorial matters on that. And yes, we did address the the history of Mad Balls. So I hope you will go back and listen to that and enjoy it. Uh, Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, We got two more comments on the Mad Balls episode. Yeah. The first one of those comes from Mike Westfall. Mike Westfall. And Mike says, I had ARG and Mm. Touchdown Terror, the football Mm. super mad ball. We played with it a lot, despite it being really painful to catch. (laughs) Whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) Is Mike Westfall a jock? Hey, yeah. Uh, I thought I Mike, liked you're him. You're going to have to but... address that yeah. uh, yourself in a future comment. Yeah. Uh, he also says, additional shout out to madballs.com, a gorgeous website, despite it being about intentionally ugly madballs. Uh, he's yeah, right. Agreed. It is a gorgeous site. We will put that in the show notes uh, for this episode. And do you guys want to hear the third and final comment on the madballs episode? Yes, please. It comes from Faces... Azrael. <laughs> yes. And faces, Azrael says, excuse me, but I'm just saying. Oh, there's more. I'm. Ki- oh, there's more. Yeah. Okay. I'm just saying I'm Kid Creeper, but Nate M comments once, and now he is King Creeper. <laughs> also. 
Someone wake up Adam from his cryo crate. Never heard of Mad Balls. I don't think y'all know yet that I will only be commenting on archive ones, not deep dives or percolator. And this is this is the best part of this comment. All Maybe right. if you move the percolator back into the archive oh, proper. Oh god. <laughs> How much anyway, money did Adam pay him to say that? <laughs> anyway, it's 2:11 a.m. and I am going to sleep. Good night, Kelly. Comment uh count up to 4. Wow. Comment streak um, up to 4, excuse me. I'm really glad that he clarified um, that he'll only be commenting on the archive proper. Yes. Yeah. Um, I wasn't. I was starting to wonder if he would comment on percolators or deep dives. Deep but dives, really? That's know. the one that was. I was out looking there. for his comments on deep dives, but I've know. actually been every day going to the deep dive episodes and checking the comments, assuming he would leave one there. But yeah. Eventually, but now yeah. you don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. Saved well, us a lot of trouble. Thank you, Azrael faces. Yeah, and, and Kid Creeper. And look, Kid Creeper, you got to earn that King You just don't walk in and get King Creeper. Wait, no. Um, not every Nate, Nate did. Nate M Yeah, did. no, but I was... <laughs> not <laughs> everybody, <laughs> right? You got to yeah. be Nate well, in order to get King Creeper. I was going to say. Yeah. There, <laughs> Nate, my Nate. high school... <laughs> my high school gym teacher once said to us... Um, None of you would ever be as good at basketball as Michael Jordan. I swear um, I thought you were going to say, none of you will ever be King Creeper. <laughs> I mean, he might, as, he might as well have said that, right? And so this is a lesson, I think, for Kid Creeper that, you know, it, the chances of any random person becoming King Creeper are... <laughs> Not, it's not a sure thing, you know. You gotta right. earn it. And Nate M came in hot. And Nate he really had a great. Nate M is the Michael Jordan of creeping. You know, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Not everybody has it. Yeah. So, but but I but unlike my gym teacher, I'll say that you know, faces there is a chance you could become King Creeper. Yeah. So keep at it. Yeah, keep it up. And by the way. Happy birthday, Kid Creeper. Yeah, happy birthday to the Kid Creeper. I think he turned uh, 26 today? No, no, 27. 27, Mm. right, yeah. Sorry. I'm always a year by. As of today being the day we're recording this. Yeah, correct. Uh, We Um, got one more comment. Wait, what? One more comment. Yeah. Uh, This one was posted to the latest episode, or maybe, I guess... As of this recording, the latest episode of The Percolator. Uh, quick, quick. Can I guess who who did it? Yeah, absolutely. Was it Faces? It was not. <laughs> yeah, was it? no, oh, no. Oh. Yeah, I know. I was expecting okay. that, too. But um, I guess he's only I guess he's only commenting on the archive episodes. Are you sure? Uh, I don't know. Maybe he can clarify that for us. Yeah, maybe he can let us know. Yeah. Happy birthday. Uh Please state your intentions as Kid Creeper. (laughs) No, this comment is from Mike Westfall, and he says uh, this is in regard to the Jungle Cruise uh, trailer that we discussed on that episode. He says, it took me until adulthood to realize that the backside of water was a butt joke. 
I don't think I realized it was a butt joke. It's a butt joke because they say backside. Backside, yeah. Is it? Oh, are there, you think, okay, so like he's saying the context of that, they're using backside in place of the word butt. Yes. I think that's what And not not just to say the other side. Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm more confused. There's a lot of clarification needed on this uh, edition of the the prefatorium. But Mm -hmm. uh, Mike continues. He says, my favorite Jungle Cruise joke, Schweitzer Schweitzer Falls, named after the famous African explorer, Dr. Albert Falls. Also a great Jungle Cruise joke. Yeah, that's a fantastic joke. Uh, Also, the water ride briefly mentioned is Miss Adventure Falls at Typhoon Lagoon. And it's centered mm. on the character Captain Mary Oceaneer. Oceaneer. Yeah. <laughs> only, only slightly better than <laughs> Mary Oceanographer. <laughs> yeah, I gotta. I have to admit something here. I mean, maybe we should save this for the deep dive, but I'm just gonna. I'm gonna throw it out there. I've actually never been to Typhoon Lagoon. Oh, me either. Um, and I feel like. That be, just because Typhoon Lagoon opened right around the same time as uh, Pleasure Island, I, mm-hmm. I kind of want to go and not wear anything resembling a swimsuit and just mm-hmm. walk around and observe like all the various thematic elements and like yeah. take pictures of like signs and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I want to do this with Chelsea because I think it'll be really entertaining for her too um, to, yeah. to be there as we do this in a water park. I that I fully support that effort. Um, I've also never been because it's always felt like an incredible waste of time to go to a water park while I'm at Walt Disney World. Mm. But I I would I would go just to as you say make it clear I will not be swimming at all. Yes. And only there to, uh, <laughs> to look for at those who who might think otherwise. Yeah, I mean, if you're not wearing tuxedos, then why bother? That's the only yeah. way to go. I think. <laughs> All right, that's it for the comments. Okay, so we can move into uh, the archive proper. So. I don't know if you guys have this and my prefatorial pod has a, has a door that says um, this way to uh, an archive pod. So it looks like there's a further quarantine uh, uh, area for us. I'm just sending in the rodeo clowns. You guys have fun. How do you do? The purpose of this recording is to introduce you to the staff of Mad Magazine so you can hear how each of them sounds in real life. First, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Albert B. Feldstein, and I am the editor of Mad. It's my job. My name is Albert B. Feldstein, and I am the editor of Mad. It's my job to... (laughs) I am the editor of Mad, and it's my job... 
<laughs> Alright, well here we are. We're in the archive proper. Well, actually, we're in the archive pod proper. As previously stated, we are we are distancing socially in a major way here. Um, and I think it's quite fitting for uh, March Madness. This is what we find ourselves in. And this week we're talking about Mad Magazine. And I think I teased it, or I will tease it, depending on when it comes out in the percolator. <laughs> but we are March normally madness. <laughs> <laughs> but normal protocol here at the archive is that one of us acts as the episode steward. Um, that is to say, we do all the quote unquote research for that topic. And we sort of, you know, direct the episode as it's being recorded and we, this we week should, like originally we we're going to let adam do this episode mm-hmm. um i'm kind of having regrets now that we didn't just hold the microphone to his cryo chamber and yeah. just record for an hour <laughs> yeah because i feel like it would be better than what is to come <laughs> probably um but go on but we're but instead of uh, Adam stewarding this again, as you as you all know, he's in his cryo crate. Um, the three of us are sharing stewarding duties, um, and I'm up first uh, here on our little three way stew. <laughs> <laughs> um, that that is and actually one of my top Google search terms. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I'm going to kick us off in a way that I think Adam would have wanted to start this episode, and that's to jump right in to the Okay. Um, so, Mad Magazine. Um, well, let me let me actually before I get into Mad Magazine, um, let me talk really briefly about EC Comics. Um, mm-hmm. EC Comics being um, a, a comics publisher um, from from many many years ago. Um, it was uh, founded by M. C. Gaines. Um, and uh, when I'm going to jump way ahead now, when when MC Gaines died, um, Bill Gaines, his son, was convinced to take over EC Comics and run it. Um, and apparently, when he did that, um, EC Comics was like a hundred thousand dollars in debt and had some of the worst distribution around, or something. He was uh, William Gaines was was not like keen on taking over but he did um and he made a few changes when he took over he changed the name to entertaining comics and uh more uh more what's the word i'm looking for cut all, cut all this out everything i said cut it out um <laughs> more comics <laughs> 
he changed the name to Inter Entertaining Comics, and he he sort of changed the focus to what he called New Trend Comics. And so EC Comics started focusing on horror comics, suspense, sci-fi, so different genre type of comics, uh, military comics, things like that. I I didn't um, know that that it stood for Entertaining Comics. Yeah, and I actually don't. I didn't look into this, but I don't know if it originally like if EC was a different. Um, like that was the acronym, but that it stood for something else. And I think then it was educational it. comics. Okay. Or education <laughs> comics. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cause I'm, I, was... I mean, I, I haven't heard this. Uh, uh, this is all coming back from like years and years ago of, of reading about this or hearing it, but I, I'm pretty sure it was education comics and then he changed it to entertaining comics. Yeah. But as um, it, Drew was getting into, like, uh, the, the horror comics are what they're most known for today. And being right. kind of, like, dark and gritty, and mm -hmm. they did war comics and things like that, too. That Yeah. So entertaining um, is also kind of weird, but educational is just crazy. That's... Yeah. Well, and I think uh, Tales of the Crypt, right, was yeah. probably one of the more well-known mm -hmm. horror comics from that time. And obviously that has... Uh, was eventually turned into the TV show and stuff like that. And they had a number of anthology-type comics like that. Um, so in uh, 1952, um, editor Harvey Kurtzman uh, started... Uh, well, he, he had been doing um, military comics up until this point in 1952 for EC Comics. And uh, apparently... He he was like it would take him a long time to finish an issue because he was very um, focused on research and making sure that um, everything in his comics was very true to life. And I uh, in in one video I watched, um, they said that he would go so far as to send people to like be on submarines and things and record sounds so that his I guess the sound effects that he drew into oh, the comics were That's accurate. amazing. Man, I hope he carried um, that over to the horror comics and like actually recorded <laughs> zombies <laughs> eating the brains of infidels. <laughs> yeah. But uh, um but he Oh, go ahead, Nick. Well, can I tell you I had a professor in college who um who was that person that John is talking about. They um mm -hmm. he he said if you can't act it you can't draw it and he was all about living that experience and one time hmm. he and a couple of the other professors these are comics pro professors by the way um they got they went to a butcher and got a chunk of meat and took it out to a field and hit it with different weapons <laughs> to figure out what the sound effects are i'm completely serious and like just to feel how it felt when they hit it and to mm -hmm. hear that sound and yeah there are people that take it to that extent i i mean i think there's something to that but i think it really is at least as far as comics are concerned i feel like that benefits the creator more than the reader in terms of you're looking for inspiration and you're looking for you know, a source for sort of your ideas. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I can see that being a very, um, uh, you know, a very good way to, to either find new ideas or, 
or sort of create a framework for your ideas to, to come to being in. Yeah. Um, but like if your reader doesn't know what it's the sound of a, you know, ax biting yeah. into a side of beef sounds like, then <laughs> I, mean, I think it's okay if you make it up. Th- this, this was a guy who came from a very, you know, he studied Frazetta and that kind of thing. And yeah. so it wasn't just literally the sound effects. It was just right. like the weight you put into your body as you hit something yeah. and the way it reacts. And yeah. Yeah. Well, Harvey Kurtzman was like your professor. He wanted, you know, as as much authenticity as he could get into his comics. And so that meant that it took him much longer than other um, uh, creators uh, within EC Comics to get his issues finished, which also meant he made less money. Um, and it, apparently he went to uh, William Gaines, the, the publisher, uh, or the guy, you know, running EC Comics and was complaining that he, he wasn't getting paid as much because he wasn't able to put out uh, comics as often. He complained about that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know the specifics of that, but that was... Uh, <laughs> what, what this led to was uh, Gaines telling Kurtzman, well, why don't you, you know, make a new title that you can do quicker that won't require, you know, a ton of research and you can put out more often. And so Kurtzman, uh, from there, he decided to do a comedy comic and that became uh, mad number one. Um, and so I didn't know this until, you know, researching this, but mad started out as a comic book and not a magazine. Um, so issue number one was 32 pages. There were no ads. It had a color cover, uh, color cover and back, but the interior was black and white. And issue number one bombed. It was not at all successful. But at the time, you didn't get um, the financials back on those things um, right away. So by the time they knew it had bombed, they had already released issues two and three. And issue number four was currently in the works. Um, And issue number four ended up featuring the first parody of a non-EC property. Um, So I guess... Issues one through three, um, they did some parodies, but it was all stuff within, you know, their own sort of stable of content. Um, and the first thing they did outside of that was a parody of Superman called Super Duper Man. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and this, I'll take this opportunity to list, I, I looked at sort of a list of the different parodies they've done over the years, and, and I picked out a few of my favorites, um, and most of these are film parodies, but they also, they did parody other comics. Um, some of those were Starchy instead of Archie. Um, Mickey Rodent. That's a little less impressive. <laughs> I kind of like it, actually. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, blunt. sort of the, the yeah. Um, Prince Violent instead of Prince Valiant. Everybody today uh, remembers Prince Valiant. I know I do. Um, Flesh Garden and uh, Lone Stranger. Those were some comic ones. And then these are just a few of my favorite film ones they did. And these are all, the none of these are, are um, everything's, all these are within the 50s and 60s. But um, the first one they did, the first film parody was Ping Pong instead of King Kong. Mm. 
Um, Wait, <laughs> hold on. Have you seen that? <laughs> I the movie? Uh, no, the parody. No, is I'm just wondering what that's about. Is it a giant ping pong ball attacking New York City? I don't know. <laughs> All right. Um, from eternity back to here. So that's a from here to eternity. Yeah, that parody. was a, quite a reach. Yeah, that's why I like it. Um, uh, morbid Dick <laughs> instead of <laughs> instead of Moby Dick. <laughs> Um, um, I just looked up ping pong. It is not a ping pong ball, but the art is really cool. So. <laughs> uh, the agony and the agony. Oof! I really like that one. And then this, this, <laughs> I think this is the best one I found. Um, botch casually and the sum dunce kid. That is good. That's good. You heard it here, folks. Um, so, um, Mad Magazine, I guess, you know, from, from that point forward, it's doing pretty well or not Mad Magazine, but Mad, the comic is doing pretty well. Um, and then, uh, the, there starts to become this movement against comics, you know, comics are bad. Uh, they make kids do terrible things there. This is sort of, you know, mirrors the whole, you know, video games are bad for kids thing. Um, at this point in time, it was all about comics. They were ruining children's brains and making them violent and all this stuff. So, um, the comics code authority is instituted and it's a, you know, a major blow to a lot of comics and an EC ends up canceling all of its horror and suspense comics because they can't adhere to the code. Um, and the only successful comic they have left is mad. Um, however, Kurtzman um, gets an offer to go work in a magazine, and he's he's considering doing that. So Gaines tells uh, Kurtzman what? that he can. What What's magazine that? was that? Uh, I don't know. It didn't. It didn't say. Okay. Hmm. Um, so Gaines, uh, he knows that you know Kurtzman is considering this, so he tells him that he can keep doing Mad, but change Mad to a magazine um, instead of a comic, and that way. Matt is no longer uh, needs to adhere to the comics code authority um, because that's, a lot of the jokes they're doing and stuff they can't do anymore. Um, that's so really interesting way, they, because like the difference between a comic and a magazine is kind of slight, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. it, the, what you think of at the time a magazine being is on uh, slick paper and it's just a different size right. format, but otherwise it's still a comic book you know yeah and it's you know i hadn't i hadn't really thought of this before but like even when it becomes a magazine it's not as if there are like you know uh multi-page articles in there like it's still pretty much an anthology style comic with different contributors and artists and stuff so um it's a pretty uh clever kind of workaround yeah did it um, actually change format? Like, did it go from yeah. like, a traditional comic size to a traditional magazine size? Yeah, from what I could tell, it, it did. It changed format, and they and they did sort of adjust the the content to be more, I guess, magazine like in certain ways. I mean, there was 
while while they didn't have these, you know, I, I don't think they had like multi-page articles. There were definitely like, um, there was more copy on some pages. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it, it was less um, comic booky in that way. Um, but most importantly, they had the word magazine on the cover of it. <laughs> exactly. Well, so in 1955, they they published the first issue of Mad Magazine, um, and the cover read. This new magazine is vital for you to read, and inside you will find an extremely important message from the editors. And if you turned the page and looked inside, that message from the editors read, Please buy this magazine. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, about about a year later, Kurtzman actually quits um, due to a dispute over money. With Gaines um, and Al Feldstein replaces uh, Kurtzman. Um, 1956 is when they also uh, we see the debut of Alfred E. Newman as the official mascot. Um, and I didn't know this uh, before, but um, that Alfred E. Newman is not an original character to Mad Magazine. Um, well, he actually. Go ahead, Nick. So yeah, there's. There's some debate about that because um, basically they got sued in uh, 1965 for copyright infringement. Um, and they went back uh, 50 or 60 years to find other illustrations of characters that looked similar to Alfred E. Newman. Um, and uh, let's see, the first one was 1894 there was a Broadway play called the new boy that had kind of like that goofy toothless grin of Alfred E. Newman that, you know, today. Um, and, uh, from the, there was a classic comic strip from around that time, Hogan's alley that had a character called the yellow kid that mm-hmm. also looked similar. He, he didn't have hair, but along those lines. Um, and they found like, uh, dentistry advertising and soda advertising and, uh, World War II bomber art, all to make this case that this character has existed forever mm-hmm. and that they just gave him a name, I guess. Um, huh. And actually, the what, what Me Worry, his famous catchphrase, uh, appeared earlier as, I think it just said Me Worry, um, and that was like a ad for auto parts, I think. <laughs> um <laughs> Weird. Yeah. So I I also didn't know that until recently and found that pretty interesting that, yeah. Yeah, especially considering he, once he is appears on the cover, he goes on to, to be on nearly every single cover from that point forward. Yeah. Um, and uh, he actually, I, I, you know, that's somewhat influenced us at the archive or more specifically me when creating some of our album art, um, when we do different movies and stuff, I like to put our faces in place of um, yeah. characters on the movie posters and stuff, and that's essentially what they do with Alfred E. Newman a lot of the times. Um, I also read that um, this may or may not be true, but um, there's a claim that Prince Charles wrote a letter to Mad Magazine. Um <laughs> <laughs> complaining that um, Alfred E. Newman 
was a you know like a parody of him there was i guess <laughs> a photo uh went around in the 70s or something like that of of prince charles as a kid and it resembled alfred e newman and uh and so he was he was writing in to complain that they were making fun of him i guess um <clears throat> so um where was i alfred e newman yeah his official mascot um the first mad fold-in, um, which is one of the other signature kind of things people think about when you talk about Mad Magazine. Um, these are the, the pages at the end of, or the page at the end of the book that um, there's a, a drawing on it. <clears throat> and if you fold the drawing sort of in half, um, it creates a new image. And um, Nick is currently... one right uh, there. Yeah, I'm, I, I have a book of a collection of them, which is fantastic. Nice. Um, that uh, each page shows the full open version and then the closed version. Um, and Al Jaffe is the the main artist behind these, by the way. Right. Um, this. How did you guys feel about the fold in? when you were reading them growing up? Cause that was like a highlight to me. I, I oh, yeah. skip straight to it. Absolutely. I, uh, I never liked to, uh, crease or bend any of my <laughs> comics or magazines. So the fold in was like, I, I as well. And to be it honest, I think I've you. only in my life, I've maybe only owned one issue of mad magazine. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, but I remember I was a little conflicted on it. Like I, I, it was my first exposure to the fold in and I, I sort of attempted to kind of figure out what the, what the resulting image would be to try to determine, was it going to be worth it to like actually fold it and crease it? Mm -hmm. And I decided that it wasn't. So I've never actually done a fold in before. That's incredible. Um, Yeah. I, I did a similar thing, John. I, I would never actually crease it. I would sort of bend it as as much as i felt comfortable to where i could see what it was going to be yeah but i would never like full-on crease it um maybe for the same reason of not wanting to sort of you know ruin the page did you guys not uh read mad until you were teenagers or something where you respected this thing that was collectible because uh, <laughs> this is crazy to me yeah i don't think i was a teenager but I but was, you still knew I that yeah, that it should be preserved yeah. in some way. Yeah. Well, I think I was probably about like eight or nine, and I, in in really? thinking about this, yeah, <laughs> you guys are crazy. <laughs> this has been like a revelatory um, thought process because it occurred to me that like all my life I've been sort of fixated on <clears throat> like the 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 retail experience more than the product being sold by uh-huh. that experience. So like yeah. those people that have like uh, created video stores in their basements, like I've wanted to do that since I was a kid, but I've wanted to do it for like everything. So yeah. like some people would like buy toys and then like not open them for like collectible value or whatever. I just wanted to have like a toy store in my house or, yeah. you know, uh, um, with, with comics and, and magazines and stuff. Like I wanted to have a comic book store in my house as a kid. So I was sort of just thinking, like, I want this to look like it would look on a retail rack 
right you know someday some you know 20 years from now when i yeah. have a comic book store in my house i'm gonna want this yeah. thing to look pristine <laughs> well let me ask you something john do you still have that mad magazine I don't. Then you lost out on an experience. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I read an interesting quote um, by Al Jaffe. Um, Nick, you noted he's the guy who did all of these, right? Yeah. Um, So he he talked about how they came up with the concept. Um, The concept itself is a parody of magazine centerfolds. and he said, uh, Playboy had a fold-out of beautiful women in each issue, and Life magazine had these large, striking fold-outs in which they'd show how the Earth began or the solar system or something on that order, some massive panorama. Many magazines were hopping on the bandwagon, offering similar full-color spreads to their readers. I noticed this and thought, what's a good satirical comment on the trend? Then I figured, why not reverse it? If other magazines are doing this these big full-color fold-outs, well, cheap old mad should go completely the opposite way and do an ultra-modest black-and-white fold-in. That is brilliant. It is. Like, yeah. I love that. Uh, the other thing that's great about it is that um, Kurtzman, who you talked about earlier, and a couple of the other <clears throat> artists from Mad went on to work for Playboy and yeah. made a lot more money there than they were making at Mad. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's uh, pretty great yeah yeah um and a uh, quick fun fact about the fold-ins um issue 88 featured the first and only instance of a diagonal fold-in what um yeah so they did that once and I, obviously it did not <laughs> i don't think it worked very well so they never did it again apparently yeah um um javi didn't he wasn't the only person who did the fold-ins but he mm-hmm. he he's actually the longest running artist at mad he worked um from the beginning until like a year ago literally um wow and from april 64 to april 2013 a 50-year run uh only one issue didn't have some material by him in it um wow yeah and I, he didn't always do the fold-ins, but um, this past year, there's another guy named Johnny Sampson who did a few of them. And I love this quote from <laughs> 2010 uh, when they asked him about if he was going to keep doing it. He said um, he didn't know or something, but he said, seriously, people my age are dead. <laughs> <laughs> That's that I think I feel like that mostly covers kind of the history in terms of, um, you know, from that point forward, things mad kind of operates as we as we know it or sort of knew it more recently today as as running as this magazine that um, has a number of, you know, regular features. You've got things like spy versus spy. Um, They're generally parodying um, a major movie release or something like that or stuff that's in the pop culture at the time, um, generally a, a, a really, you know, uh, timely, uh, topics in the magazine. Um, one, uh, one thing I wanted to note, I, I, um, heard in an interview that, um, publisher William Gaines didn't like answering letters. And so, um, 
he had 50 stamps made with answers to the 50 most common questions and he would stamp his answers onto letters and then send them back to readers. I love it. That's, that's so yeah, great. Phenomenal. And I feel like that's, you know, it's really interesting these the way they I, I want, like I'm curious if that kind of thing sprung from just being, you know, do, doing Mad Magazine and sort of being in that mindset all the time that sort of satirical, sardonic um, you know, train of thought for mm-hmm. much of your work day and thinking I'm just going to have these stamps made, you know, knowing that that would, that would ring true with readers or is it the other way around? And, and he, you know, people like that with those kinds of ideas just gravitated toward, uh, you know, working for and on Mad Magazine. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, while I was researching the artists who worked for Mad, I, every single one of them had something in their Wikipedia page that had a story about them that just felt like it was completely made up or, mm-hmm. you know, it, these are like very jokey, corny, classic old men. It's, it's got like a national lampoon kind of vibe where it was just a bunch of right. dudes who, uh, just liked goofing off, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Made a career out of it, I guess. Right. Yeah. Um, who, who was the, there's an actor, is it Steve Martin, who has business cards that when he sees people in public, he just hands them a card that says, I met Steve Martin. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> Something, I, don't, I don't know if it was him or not, but that reminded me good. of it, where I, you're just automating this process. Yeah. I don't know if this is true, but I feel like I heard somewhere that um, Walt Disney had a stamp of his signature that oh. he would... Uh, use as opposed to signing things for people. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Um. So I I feel like you're handing the baton. I'm still I'm done with my stewardly <laughs> right. duties. I've Drew done my part. Got up Drew's and leaving. walked off. <laughs> yeah. I, I, <laughs> I'm done. I'll I'll see you guys later. It's Why are you disrobing? You. Like that's not <laughs> necessary. <laughs> I'm getting comfortable. Um. Uh, so yeah, I, I am here to talk about the artist, I guess. <laughs> hang um, on, hang on. Wait. <laughs> that's, that's why you invited me, right? Let me, let me, a quick question and uh-huh. John, feel free to leave this in or not. Uh-huh. Do we, should, do we want to retake that and I'll create a more organic Passover to, <laughs> to Nick? I mean, I think you kind of already had that with with Nick saying, like, yeah, as I was researching these artists, they all had well, some kind of crazy story. Yeah, but, I thought that's where we were going. Yeah. But now we have all this, too, so that, that adds yeah, this to that. Yeah. Also, can we do you another know, you, Mike Westfall check? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? The creators of Mad Magazine would leave this in. Yeah. 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 So let's do leave This it would be in. on the cover. Yeah. <laughs> Well, speaking of the covers, good transition, Nick. Um, <laughs> the classic image of Alfred E. Newman that you all have in your head right now when I say that is done by a man named Norman Mingo, who isn't one of the main Mad Fold ends. Uh, that uh, he he was a Norman Rockwell style kind of illustrator, and um, he saw an advertisement for. They, they were looking for somebody to 
create the iconic version of this character. And he'd been in it prior to this. Alfred E. Newman had. Um, but he came in and, and I mentioned earlier about these like corny stories these people tell. Uh, this is an Al Feldstein quote. He said, in walked this little old guy in his 60s named Norman Mingo, and he said, what national magazine is this? And I said, mad. And he said, goodbye. And he turned around <laughs> to walk out. <laughs> and I said, wait. And he dragged out a bunch of examples of uh, postcards of, quote, this idiot kid. And he said, I want a definitive portrait of this kid. I don't want him to look like an idiot, but I want him to be lovable and have an intelligence behind his eyes. But I want him to have this devil-may-care attitude, someone who can maintain a sense of humor while the world is collapsing around him. And uh, I guess that sold Norman on it, and he he did the first... Um, I, I don't know if it was painted or not, probably, but um, cover of Alfred E. Newman that is the style that you're thinking about. Um, yeah. He went on to do, uh, I think... Most of their covers, um, yeah, he did 97 covers for Mad Magazine proper and then 100 other specials that they did. Because they wow. would put out a bunch of like trade paperback books and things like that. Um, yeah, I read that um, they did that. Uh, I, I guess Gaines, the publisher, was a pretty shrewd businessman because I read the only reason they did that was to make more money. Like, essentially a way to repackage, you know, existing content and then resell oh, yeah. it. Yeah. They were really good about that. Um, cause they were pumping out content and so they could go back through, um, you talk about, about the, um, different types of strips that they'd have. Um, yeah. they all, they would do the, like a mad look at, and it would just be like a, a day at the beach or something like that. Right. Um, and, uh, a lot of the strips that they had were wordless, which mm-hmm. is partially because of, uh, you, you talked about spy versus spy earlier. That was an artist named Antonio pro Let's go with that. And, um, <laughs> he was a Cuban artist and spy versus spy was about the, the cold war and it was just the black spy trying to kill the white spy who was trying to kill him. Uh, that was another thing that was a favorite of mine when I was growing up. Like I drew my own spy versus spy comics and yeah, I, I was a big fan of the Nintendo game and somebody recently brought it up and they were like that terrible Nintendo game. And I was like, that wasn't <laughs> okay. It was pretty bad, but I, I loved it. <laughs> Um, what was the what was the artist's name again, Nick? Antonio Prohias. And I, I feel like I read that he actually um, essentially uh, fled from Cuba. Oh, really? Um, yeah. That, that I feel like he got into some trouble, you know, for his art with um, with not I mean not with Castro personally maybe, but with you know the government at the time. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, fled to. America and uh, obviously did pretty well for himself from there. Yeah. So he was I one like of the... imagining Castro just like crumpling up uh, issues of Mad Magazine. And Fury. <laughs> yeah, we lost him. Yeah, <laughs> he got away. 
and uh, also mad because it's because they're really funny. Yes. Yeah. Um, so he was actually instrumental in bringing in my favorite mad artist. Um, and I'm, I'm going to say Sergio Aragonas probably. And I, I mispronounce all things, but his is significant because I met him when I was like 12. Whoa. And, and uh, and you said hello, Mister Sergio. I no no no. I know exactly how I said it. I said Sergio. Uh, hold on. <laughs> now I can't. Aragons. Sergio Aragons. Yeah, and I. I was with my friend Mark, and he and uh, Mark Vanier was was the writer who was with him. Um, and, uh, they laughed at me and made fun of me and we walked away like, that was amazing. He made fun of me. That was the coolest thing that's ever happened to me. Um, where did you meet him? Uh, it was in Charlotte. There was a comic convention called heroes con. Okay. And, uh, and yeah, he had a book called Gru, which was a parody of Conan that, um, he, he created this character in the seventies and, uh, while he was working at mad and eventually put it out. And it's a pretty incredible book because it, um, bounced between, hold on, let me see if I can find this real fast. Um, uh, it, it was creator owned. And the first time he put it out, it was with Pacific comics. And then it went to eclipse comics and then it went to Marvel, which is when I discovered it. Um, this was around 87 or something, but it originally appeared in 82 and Marvel had a, a label print thing called Epic. Mm -hmm. That was all creator owned. And then eventually went to image and today it's at dark horse. So it's wow. Been everywhere. And they like to joke that it's basically a curse on any publisher that if, <laughs> if you take crew, <laughs> then they're going to close down six months later. <laughs> Um, but, uh, that, and I, I want to talk about Gru a little bit cause I know I'm not going to ever do an episode about it, but I kind of want to, uh, Gru also had, uh, the letter for it was Stan Sakai who went on to create Drew. Do you know this? Uh, Sagi Yojimbo. That's right. Um, who was a samurai. Who was that? Oh yeah. Samurai, samurai rabbit. Yeah. Um, and would it would later cameo in uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, right? Um, Which was in so like if I can tangent off of your tangent briefly, mm -hmm. Nick, I didn't at the time I had you know as a kid I had no idea that Usagi Yojimbo was a, a character, you know, separate from the Ninja Turtles that it, it was its own thing and yeah um, and Stan Sakai is still I believe still making yeah um, and he 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 for decades now has been making Usagi Yojimbo comics all by himself, you know, uh, doing each writing and, and doing the art, I believe for every single issue. Um, but yeah, as a, as a kid, I always thought it was just another mutant character, um, within the overall, uh, turtles universe. And there is even a action figure you could get. Oh yeah. I have a Ninja turtle action figure. And I think, he, um, did he ever I, appear on the animated series? 
I yeah, I'm pretty sure he showed up in the cartoon. Okay. I can't. Sorry. I can't remember him showing up in the cartoon. I want to challenge you on that. Five okay, bucks. Okay, I'll I'll check. All yeah, right. I definitely Five. remember the action figure, but I couldn't recall if he'd ever been on the show. It, it probably did appear in the cartoon if they made an action figure. I don't know why that. They and I may have been wrong about the the Cuba thing with Aragon. I was just looking it up again to confirm that it may have been a different artist that I'm thinking of. Uh, so um, apologies, apologies. But anyway, uh, Aragon is um, grew. Yeah. Uh, but the the artist behind grew. Um, he he I, he was born in Spain and then he moved to Mexico when he was six, I believe. And something I didn't know until researching it, um, he he actually went to college and studied under uh, Jodorowsky. Oh wow! The uh, writer and director and uh, crazy. Is he Mexican or is he Spanish? I'm not sure. But um, who, he, he worked with Mobius. And um, anyway, Aragonas took a uh, mime class under him, which I just <laughs> love. <laughs> and that, that connects back to my professor who said, if you can't act it, you can't draw yeah. it. Um, these are artists who are just miming things. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, Aragon has uh, eventually moved to New York. Um, he said that uh, when he was a kid, he had um, he would take these classes and they had homework where you would have to uh, write about a plant or a beetle and draw a little picture of it. And his fellow classmates would all give him their homework. And for pennies, he would draw the little picture of it. And that ended up leading him to become uh what they call like the fastest artist ever or Hmm. yeah um and uh when he yeah he moved to new york he had 20 bucks and was just like i'm here and showed up at mad magazine and spoke very little english and went in and uh they didn't know what to do with him but um uh what's his name uh, Prohias, the spy versus spy artist, uh, spoke mm-hmm. Spanish, and so he became fast friends with him. And they, he brought him in. He said, "This is my Cuban brother," and he started working for them. And is probably the most prolific uh, mad artist out there. He just pumped material out. Um, he, he, and like I said earlier, like a lot of it was wordless because he didn't speak English. And I think that was a, a good thing for it because that, um, cross cultures and was just easy to read and easy for kids to get. And yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, another thing about him is that he is a head in Futurama, which I I think is the uh. highest level that you can achieve, right? <laughs> um, and one more other crazy story. Um, do you guys know Marty Feldman? He's the the guy that has crazy walleye. Who? Oh yeah. In Young Frankenstein, he played. Oh, from Igor. Young Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, a, qu- <laughs> a 
according to Sergio Aragones, <laughs> um, <laughs> he thinks he might have killed him. Uh, what? Yeah, Feldman was making a movie called Yellow Beard in Mexico City at the time, and Aragones was uh, doing all sorts of things, and he was doing a bit part in it dressed as a policeman. And he went up to Feldman and, according to him, introduced himself in a startling way and might have induced a heart attack that killed him. Jeez. Yeah. Yikes. Um, But who knows if that's true because... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to assume it's true. Yeah. Um, Um... if I could interject quickly Please. To, to follow up on a few things that that have come up, uh, I I now I can't remember if I said the Cuba thing about <laughs> about Prohias or Aragones, but it's true of Prohias. Okay, you did say it about him. I think it was Prohias. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He he did. He he fled Cuba um, because because of pressure from Castro and, and it was assumed he was, he was accused of working for the CIA by Fidel Castro's government. Um, and then, uh, as far as Usagi Yojimbo, mm-hmm. from what I can tell, he actually has appeared in two different, uh, turtle cartoon iterations. Um, so I'll show you guys here, but this is him in the, uh, in okay. the 80s cartoon, mm-hmm. and then he also appeared in the next uh, version of, like, the, the sort of 2000s era cartoon. Yeah. So there you go. Nick. <laughs> Good thing I didn't make a bet about it. Um, <laughs> but, so even though I got his name uh, mispronounced horribly, it <laughs> Sergio Aragonez was one of the first artists that I actually paid attention to their name like mm-hmm. i don't know what it was about grew that called out to me but um i was just a fanboy from the beginning um and it it i i don't probably didn't even know that he was doing mad at the same time but i just started picking up this book and um we were talking about episodic things uh mm-hmm. earlier in the or later or, or later um <laughs> <laughs> but every single episode of Gru is very episodic and there's definitely a reset and it starts where you get a page of him and it's kind of like a mad magazine little gag where you get you know six or however many panels of something stupid happening and then you turn the page and you get a full page spread and it's like a where's waldo kind of thing where you get a huge mm you know bizarre where everybody is selling their wares and you can just spend an hour going across the page looking at all the silly little things that are happening and uh and then it goes on to the the full story that finishes the book but do you say that that's every issue follows that structure oh yeah wow um i he is he's he's responsible for the margin comics yes i'm glad you brought that up he when when he came in, uh, they had a thing that they would do at the time where they would have like little jokes and stuff in the margins, and 
This is at Mad Magazine. Yeah, at Mad. Um, they called it marginal thinking. That's what I was looking for. Um, <clears throat> so Aragon has uh, talked to Feldstein, and he said uh, he wanted to do cartoons in the margins, and they they were convinced that that was a bad idea because it would just take too long, and it's just this little extra gag that they're trying to cram in there. And so he did a sample book, and he handed it to them, and they liked it, but they were like, you, you can't sustain this. And again, this is the uh, uh, fastest, w- the world's fastest cartoonist, they called him. I feel like every single mad artist has a nickname like that, where <laughs> they just like plug each other in little ways. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it, it was a hit, and he did these things called marginals that were would have little drawings that ran around the margins of the comics and yeah. uh, up and down and diagonal and stuff. And uh, they, they, a lot of times they'd even, they'd sort of play with the structure of the page wouldn't they, or they'd interplay with it. Yes. I feel like, yeah. Um, those, those were one of my favorite parts of mad magazine. And I think it, it's, um, that like, it's not, not as though they were hard to find. They weren't necessarily hidden or anything, but just, the nature of them not being the primary thing on the page, but it was something, you know, that you could look for and follow like that. I found that really, um, engaging at yeah. the time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mentioned the guy who, uh, uh, uh Jaffe who was doing mm-hmm. the fold ends did every issue except for one for 50 years. Uh, Sergio Aragonas uh, did (laughs) every issue of Mad since 1963 except for one also and that was because his contributions were lost by the post office oh wow yeah geez these guys they stick with it yeah um so there's a dozen of them I'm gonna roll through a few of them because we're running short on time but uh, Jack Davis is the guy who did most of the covers. He's like a great caricaturist. Um, he went on to do Tales from the Crypt. He also worked for um, Franklin and Bash, uh, <laughs> uh, Rankin Bass. <laughs> <laughs> um, he did characters, character designs for Mad Monster Party. And mm. the Coneheads, the Jackson Five, um, they uh, again a very recognizable artist. All of these, like if you don't know them from Mad, you know them yeah. from doing. Like he did comedy albums. He did a Johnny Cash cover for Everybody Loves a Nut. Um, just his stuff is everywhere. Uh, he did the cover for It's a Mad 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 World, the hey. movie. Look at that. <laughs> and then. Later, he did a parody of his own cover for Mad Magazine, <laughs> and that is called It's a World, 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 World Mad. Uh, That's good. That's very good. Yeah. Uh, Mort Trucker is the guy who did the the parodies, mostly, that I think about. That, um, And when I was a kid, I liked the parodies the most, I think. Mm-hmm. That was the thing I went straight to, but now I kind of like the, the gag strips and... Yeah. Yeah. Um, Michael J. Fox uh, said that he knew that he had arrived when Mort Drucker drew him 
think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Don Martin is the guy who does um, the wordless gag strips for the people with the brown noses and kind of like tall rectangular heads. And um, there's a lot of like slapstick humor in it. Is Uh, he, is that, he's one of the more, I think like Sergio Aragona is, he's probably one of the most well-known, right? In terms of at least. Yeah. Art wise, you would you would identify. Oh, that's the Mad Magazine sort yeah. of cartoon. And yeah. you would, if you saw it, you would immediately associate it with Mad. Yeah, right. Um, he did a lot of the things like um, one afternoon at the beach, and mm-hmm. it would be a couple of pages, and there would be twelve different little three panel kind of things that are just stupid, silly things. Right, that right. Yeah, and then he also he, he did parodies of writers and uh, like things about dracula and moses and yeah (laughs) (laughs) um and then there's al feldstein and will alder and dave berg and wally wood and tom richmond and yeah like the early (laughs) yeah bunch of the early uh artists on that like every i'm really struck by how many of the artists that contributed to mad magazine are like within comics world anyway are huge names you know like mm-hmm. um n- i mean not that i ever would considered mad magazine like to be necessarily a lesser thing or that it wouldn't attract that kind of artist but i just had no idea the sort of um lineage of of artists that were associated with it yeah um do you i i feel like i stumbled on this when I was first getting to know you that um, Wally Wood had a thing called um, like 30 panels that always work. Oh yeah. 22 panels, 22 panels. Yeah. Um, Which is a little thing that he, I I think he copied it from other people and then like made Mm -hmm. his own thing, but he had it just like posted up on his drawing board. um, Yeah. Which is just a general thing for comic artists that, um, it's kind of like, you know, with, with film where they're just standard shots, like a over the shoulder shot right. kind of thing where, um, if you're in a rut or want to mix it up a little bit, you can refer back to this and it's just like, these are just solid fundamentals. Yeah. You know? I, I feel like I re- you know, I was, I was reading about Wallywood and I feel like I read that, um, there's some st- <laughs> Much like the fastest art ca- cartoonist uh, Aragona is, I feel like someone referred to Wally Wood as the most efficient cartoonist in that. Mm. Um, I won't get this right, but they were like, Wally would never, um, never draw something he couldn't steal. That sounds would right. would never steal something he couldn't trace and would never, you know, like essentially would... would Take spend the least amount of effort yeah. yeah and that apparently that uh this 22 panels um thing when he originally made it was 24 panels and they were um yeah panels that he he felt were really dynamic and worked well specifically when the writers wrote scenes of just people talking to each other you know that weren't inherently visually dynamic yeah. so he sort of had this this set of panels that he could refer to 
um, and use whenever it was sort of just people talking to each other. And yeah, that, that eventually, I, I guess somebody scanned those, like made copies of it. Cause yeah, he just had it up at his desk. And from what I read, two of the panels ended up being so faint that they could no longer be legible. So that's why it's not 24 panels. It's oh, 22 panels. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, if you Google 22 panels, Wally Wood, you can, I guess we'll put that in the show notes as well. But, um, I had a printout of that on my desk for a while. Yeah, I did too. Um, and they're, they're great cause they have little, because it's for comics, they have word balloons in them and the people in the word balloons are, yeah. uh, the, the word balloons are saying things like, uh, close up and yeah. <laughs> behind the back and just yeah, describing exactly. everything. Yeah. Um, well, now it's time for John's turn. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I also, I wanted to go back to Kurtzman cause, um, uh, one, he, he went on to do a book called help, uh, which was actually the origin of, um, he introduced the world to both Robert Crumb and Terry Gilliam. Ah. So that's pretty incredible. And the guy who did um, the fabulous furry Freak Brothers, which I don't really know anything about, but people like it. Um, the fabulous Freak Brothers? For, yeah, it it was it was like kind of a R crumb kind of thing from the seventies. Mm -hmm. uh, hmm. Hippies liked it. Um, <laughs> yeah, Mad Magazine was a big influence on me and um they have a documentary coming that started a kickstarter um like five years ago and i thought that it went away but when i looked it up earlier they're actually still in post-production and it's probably going to happen so look out for oh. that it'll be much more valuable than this episode <laughs> nick is there a link to that kickstarter or is it done uh, the the Kickstarter point. is done, but we can, uh, they have a Facebook page. We'll put that in okay. the show notes. So look, yeah, look for this, the documentary not yet released, but as Nick said, probably a better version of what you're listening to currently. <laughs> um, <laughs> what's so like, you know, I feel like mad magazine kind of, in my mind sort of remained static for a long time, at least in terms of like, you know, it was, it was it, sort of something you could rely on as far as it's just the same thing, a magazine, they're parodying, you know, movies and stuff. Um, but as far as I know, recently, I think the magazine doesn't necessarily exist as a print thing anymore. Is no, they, right? yeah, they, they went bankrupt about 10 years ago and then, or maybe a little more recent, but they came back and then they closed down again just this past year. Yeah. But it still, uh, sort of exists as a, as a brand, uh, right. Like it, it's, I, I mean, it does wait, hold on. Maybe I'm wrong. I, no, I think I that's right. Like, well, I, feel I just like it stopped print 
editions <laughs> in like 2018 or something. I just went to their website and you can still subscribe, which doesn't mean anything, but um <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, yeah. Uh we didn't mention Cracked, which was a spin-off of it. Um, well, was a was it a spin-off? I yeah, was is was, is it a competitor or a spin-off? I felt I like... was thought it was a competitor i think it's a competitor okay. yeah there were uh, several uh kind of uh knockoff um satirical uh magazines that were you know comic based and i think the three yeah the three that that lasted the longest were cracked sick and crazy uh, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> Obviously not at all inspired by Mad. They just happen yeah. to be satirical comic magazines. Um, but then uh, there were a bunch of other ones like uh, Get Lost, Flip, hmm. Eh, <laughs> which I guess was Canadian. Um, <laughs> uh, but my favorite, this is great, both Marvel and DC also uh, did their own ah. sort of short-lived versions of Mad magazine. Um uh, the Marvel one was short-lived in the 60s, uh, 67. They did 13 issues of something called Not Brand Ech. Um. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Yeah, Not Brand Ech. And I, I, I assume that is supposed to like be a reference to something, but it's, it's How not do you clear spell to me. Ech. E-C-H-H. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and DC did one from 73 to 76 called Plop. And that actually had uh, your buddy Sergio um, uh, involved in it, uh, doing the art I, for it. Plop is pretty good. Yeah, I'm not familiar with either of those. I, I, I just did... mean the name. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that one had an exclamation point after it oh yeah yeah so you know that i, like I remember that yeah i i mean i'll admit something here and maybe this you guys will look at me in a different light i was actually more of a cracked fan than a mad magazine fan as a kid i've got to go <laughs> <laughs> um, i would i i i bought a lot more cracked uh magazines than i did mad I, think I don't what, know why. I purchased a cracked before I ever bought a mad. I can, mm-hmm. I can say with uh, certainty, but I never really, I, I didn't own too many of any of them. I don't think mm-hmm. the, the humor stuff wasn't really in my bag um, growing up, which, or ever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I think it's, I guess it's a testament to the, the nature and the legacy of mad that even having as limited of exposure to it as I did, I always sort of knew what it was about. Yeah. Like it was, it was sort of so well defined that I didn't even have to read it regularly to kind of get it. Um, yeah. And, and kind of know the sense of humor that was fueling it. Um, and, and weirdly, I think what's interesting about that is how uh, poorly that has translated beyond the magazine itself mm-hmm. um in, a, in as much as they have tried to spin 
Mad Magazine the concept off as other things. They've done like albums that were like comedy albums um, and uh, video games. And there was Mad TV, uh, which was yeah. basically just licensing the name um, for a skit uh, TV show, which I, I watched that a couple of times and I thought it was entertaining. But it, other than having, I think I think that was the one that had the Spy versus Spy uh, yeah, animated segments. Yeah. Other than that, it really didn't have anything to do with um, Mad. But they actually had a couple I, of different TV shows that were like, or um, performance-based shows. Some of them were on Broadway, some were on TV that were all sort of skits, comedic skits, mm-hmm. and none of them ever really went anywhere. I think Mad yeah, TV think, was probably the most successful. Yeah, and Matt, it's weird. Mad TV always, you know, I, I, I probably watched maybe four or five episodes in my life may and not even full episodes, but, um, it, it, it always felt like, you know, the lower rent version of Saturday, Saturday night live. Oh yeah. Um, and, and which, you know, it's funny because a lot of the comedians on mad, like their post mad TV careers feel more interesting and more substantial. Like, um, like mad think, TV um, was holding them back. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, weren't Jordan Peele and uh, Keenan Michael Key on Mad TV, or Keegan Michael? Oh, I don't know. My things. I'm pretty sure they both got their start there. Um, Phil Lamar, um, who does a lot of voice acting, he he had a, you know, he was on Mad TV for a long time. Um, <clears throat> like a, a lot of the those comedians just did i think actually honestly that's kind of true of saturday night live as well um i feel like that's that's usually the beginning of a lot of comedians careers as opposed to sort of the apex yeah unless you're joe piscopo (laughs) what are you talking about (laughs) uh did you guys know that there was a mad movie no no. This, this uh, sort of blows my mind. This is probably the most interesting thing that I found in uh, researching. Um, there was a movie. It, it was inspired by the success of Animal House, which was a National Lampoon's movie, mm-hmm. even though it really it, it didn't derive much from National Lampoon's. Only I think there were a couple of right. people involved who were like writers on the magazine. Um, but uh, the, this movie was called Mad Magazine Presents up the Academy and it was made in 1980. So right on the heels of animal house. Um, and it, it, there, there, no one involved with mad magazine at all was involved in the making of this movie. Uh, but it's clearly like a mad product and the Mm -hmm. advertisements had Alfred E. Newman as there's a statue of him at this, uh, military Academy where the movie is set. And it's like a teen, uh, uh, sleazeball comedy um, <laughs> but it's it, it uh, it's amazing the the weird confluence of of disparate elements like the the fact that it was you know inspired by Animal House not too much of a stretch um, mm-hmm. but the the sort of lack of involvement of anyone related to the magazine and the lack of mad humor in it you know, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't as zany as the magazine in any way. It was just a straightforward um, sort of screwball comedy that um, 
happened to have a statue of Alfred E. Newman in it. <laughs> um, but then even like weirder, it was directed by Robert Downey Sr., who Whoa. had at this point, like his his whole legacy was in doing these kind of avant-garde um, um, anti-establishment uh, movies. He came up in the 60s and, and was doing all these exper- experimental movies like George Lucas wants to do. Um, <laughs> and then somehow he landed this job directing this uh, terrible, terrible comedy that uh, immediately bombed. And uh, the, the, this is maybe the best part of the story related to this movie. They Mad Magazine wanted... It was so bad that Mad wanted not to be associated with it and so they paid the producers it was made by warner brothers they paid warner brothers 30 grand to take the name mad magazine off of it and remove the scenes of alfred e newman's statue what from everything so i guess like the movie was out in theaters and they couldn't do anything about that but then once it was licensed for tv um Mm -hmm. that was when this took effect so the theatrical version bore the name mad magazine presents and it was advertised that way but then when it was uh, put out on hbo um they had they had removed all the scenes of the alfred e newman statue and changed the title so it was just up the academy wow but then eventually warner brothers i guess bought mad or time warner <laughs> bought time bought mad and then uh, time warner became a thing and so right. now if you uh I don't know if it's available uh, to rent or anything, but any any releases, any subsequent releases now have the original Mad Magazine Presents moniker and the footage of the Alfred E. Newman statue wow. has been restored. Um, I'll put a link to the trailer for this movie in the show notes. I mean, it, it's almost impossible to even watch the trailer. It's, it's so bad. But I found it uh, fascinating. And uh, I guess this is sort of apocryphal, but... Um, kind of goes back to uh, William M. Gaines being uh, sort of this iconoclastic uh, uh, mogul character. Um, he was he he apparently he had those stamps that he would use mm-hmm. to respond to letters, but he apparently uh, would if somebody complained, he would actually write them a personal letter, either <laughs> like apologizing. Or you know, uh, uh, playing with them, but he 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 personally uh, addressed letters to everyone who complained about this magazine or this uh, movie, um, saying that you know, well, we hated it too. Um, <laughs> which is is sort of I feel like that kind of thing could happen all the time now, but in 1980 or whatever, it seems like way unlikely yeah. to ever expect that. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. But I think, uh, I don't know, it's weird because I think in in the current um, media landscape, I guess, I feel like something like Mad seems really primed to succeed, just in that it is uh, an anthology, it's a, a, a brand that doesn't have, like, other than a couple of um, recurring features or or motifs it doesn't have like a through line or anything it could be mm-hmm. uh adapted and applied pretty easily across a lot of different uh media so it's strange that it hasn't really succeeded um in the last couple of years 
Yeah, and did they? So they did stop publishing, right? Like it's it's no longer print at all. Isn't that right? I think like so. As of as of like twenty nineteen, I think two thousand nineteen. Yeah. Um. So fairly recently. But I feel um, like that can't last. I feel like it has to come back in some iteration. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's it's a format. I feel like they can. It's it's sort of just. It can live in kind of in a lot of different ways. Yeah, but I wonder if maybe the the there's just not a, a sort of creative kind of um, vision anymore behind it, or something. Yeah. Well, and it's probably <clears throat> been acquired and assumed by yeah. so many different or assimilated by so many different I think, incarnations. Uh, actually, I think DC owns it now. Oh, really, okay. DC. I believe so. Let me let me double check that. But, um, but we talked about how, uh, we talked about how cracked ripped them off. They kind of survived all this by becoming a website that just puts out, uh, you know, twenty things that are wrong about Doctor Who. (laughs) Wait, is that true? Is that website actually a descendant of the magazine? Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. And they they used to put out, I mean, I'm sure they still put out decent content here and there, but they they did some interesting things kind of in the late aughts or early teens or whatever the hell you call them. Um, But the the I haven't seen anything by them in years that didn't feel like internet trash. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, sorry, it was it is John, and you said this. Warner Brothers owns uh, Madden Magazine now, but I guess I think maybe some of the the archival stuff has made its way to the DC offices. Okay. Um, cause I watched a few videos where they were talking about, they, they have a bunch of the original issues that Gaines himself had in his collection. Um, and the, and I think the mad magazine offices are now, um, maybe in the same place as the DC offices or something. So maybe they'll just reboot that along with the rest of the DC universe. Uh, yeah. Next week. And plop. And plop. <laughs> Classic plop. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, that was your retrospective on Mad Magazine. Um, and uh, this is our second Mad episode, right, of March Madness? Third. Third. Oh, right. We did Mad Max. Sorry. I forgot um, so so soon. By the way, Drew, screw you. <laughs> Oh, no. Um, Anyway, uh, Mad March Madness will continue next week. Um, And I believe I'm correct in saying that this will be the Mad Men episode. That's correct. Um, So binge watch that show so you'll be able to follow our episode. Yeah, you got a week to watch 89 episodes. Should be pretty. Yeah, they're all online, so Mm -hmm. should be easy. Um, uh, and until then, let's, uh, fold this into the archive. 